0: Guys, quick shout out to our friends at E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed. Launched back in 2018, E2 is now one of the fastest growing entrepreneurship podcasts in Canada, recorded right here in Toronto. Check out one of the latest episodes with Second Closet's Mark Eng, or dive into some past interviews with folks like Bruce Linton of Canopy Growth, Skip the Dishes co-founder Jeff Adamson, Mike Geddes of Endy, and others. You can listen wherever you get your podcasts, just search for E2 Entrepreneurs Exposed.
1: Psychedelics have that potential to not only treat the sick, they actually have the potential to better the well. And uh, if we all kind of lift ourselves up from the people who are doing the best to the people who are doing the worst, we're all going to benefit from it.
0: Welcome to Mission Critical, a podcast about the big picture, the purpose, and the values that drive today's most game-changing companies, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm your host, Lance Chung, Editor-in-Chief of Bay Street Bull, and I'll be introducing you to a group of brilliant minds who are making an impact on the world and forging the path ahead. While they may all be very different from one another, the question remains the same. What's your mission? What comes to mind when you think about psychedelics? Perhaps it's hallucinogenic, mind-bending experiences, or maybe you think about optimizing your productivity and unlocking the secrets of your brain. Experiences can vary wildly, and part of our collective perception of psychedelics is no doubt impacted by the glamorization of the substances in media and pop culture. But while it may still be an area shrouded in mystery and mystique for many, There's a lot more nuance to the world of psychedelics that has opened a whole universe of possibilities for mental health care and for business. Today, psychedelics are making a big comeback from their controversial history thanks to major breakthroughs in their ability to treat a range of disorders from substance abuse to depression. On today's episode, I'm speaking with Ronan Levy, co-founder and executive chairman of Field Trip Health, a therapy and research center that uses ketamine, yes, ketamine, Enhanced psychotherapy to help those suffering from treatment resistant mental health conditions. Rodin previously cut his teeth as a lawyer practicing corporate and securities law before starting a career in the cannabis sector, building brands, and then serving as a senior vice president of business and corporate affairs at Aurora Cannabis. In his view, psychedelics have the potential to eclipse the cannabis industry. Whereas the legal cannabis market hit about $19 billion in 2020 sales in the US alone, The psychedelics industry is estimated to be worth around $100 billion, according to Canaccord Genuity Corp., thanks to its applications in the mental health sphere. Today, Ronan and I chat about his journey into the psychedelics industry, the science behind ketamine-enhanced therapy, and the impact that psychedelics can have on mental health. We have Ronan Levy, co-founder and executive chairman of Field Trip Health. Ronan, it's such a pleasure to be chatting with you today. How are you?
1: I'm doing well, and thank you for having me on. It's a, it's a pleasure to be chatting with you as well.
0: So I have to preface uh, our interview today by saying that I have very little understanding of the psychedelics industry. So this is going to be very much a big learning expedition for me, but I'm excited to learn a lot and explore it and, and just dive into a big one-on-one on, on psychedelics in general. You know, There's a lot that I'd like to talk about from the research to mental health to the business side of the industry. But I wanted to start with your journey first before we look at some of the bigger macro stuff?
1: Yeah, absolutely. So my journey briefly is I'm, I'm a recovered lawyer. I, I started my career on, on Bay Street working at Blake's doing corporate and securities law, but realized that I was, uh, as one partner there, described me much too creative to be a lawyer. And so I set off uh, working at various different in-house roles uh, before making the leap to entrepreneurship back in 2011 when I opened Opened my first company, never had aspirations of running that long term, so continued doing some freelance legal work with working with startups where I met uh, Joseph Del Moral, who's the CEO of Field Trip, uh, and Hanan Flyman, who's our president. And we joined forces and started uh, two sister companies, one called Canadian Cannabis Clinics, one called Cannabis Rx which grew to be the largest provider of cannabis specialized medical services in canada we had 30 locations across canada and sold that to aurora cannabis uh, which was their first acquisition took active roles within aurora and helped that company scale from you know just having a license to be wanting being one of the largest global producers of medical and i guess adult use cannabis in the world left in 2018 to find something new to do and that's when we learned about what was happening with psychedelics and given the natural superficial parallels we we were very excited by the opportunity but also realized that we had a unique skill set because unlike most other people in the cannabis industry we actually saw from the clinical rollouts of how to administer cannabis medicine all the way to the scaling of production so uh from uh you know a high level perspective if you're looking at psychedelics and cannabis in the same way we're like wow there's a really unique opportunity that create real impact and create a massive business. Uh, and we're uniquely qualified to do it. So that's how Field Trip was was born about six months after leaving Aurora uh, back in 2018.
0: Right. And I, I want to actually explore kind of the parallels and the differences between the psychedelics and the cannabis industry as well, especially given your experience navigating both of those landscapes. So you're the co-founder and executive chairman of Field Trip Health. What is field trip health and what makes it different i guess from any other company out in the on the landscape in in the same industry
1: yeah so with field trip we're focused on the end-to-end development and delivery of psychedelic therapies so just like drawing an analogy to aurora where Aurora had the production side. And after they acquired the clinic's business, they had the full end-to-end you know, customer or patient life cycle involved from prescription all the way to the delivery of medicine. And so as we started learning about psychedelics and the opportunities there, we realized it was not only smart and important from a business perspective to bring that same kind of thinking to the psychedelics industry, it also made sense therapeutically. Because what makes psychedelics so unique in the context of medicine is that it's truly experiential medicine, which means that it's not just the drug doing the work. It's all the circumstances around the drug experience that lead to the therapeutic outcomes. In more common parlance, you may hear people talk about this notion of and setting, which refers to the mindset a person brings into a psychedelic experience or the intention they have for that psychedelic experience, as well as the physical location that that experience actually takes place in. And the more people are in a good mindset and are in a safe environment where they feel comfortable, the better the therapeutic outcome. So the experience really matters. And so as we started to look for opportunities in the psychedelic sector, we realize that if you're focused only on developing new drugs or new products and not focused on the actual therapy that supports the delivery of these products or the locations uh, or helping people prepare, an essential component of the therapeutic outcome is left to chance or to third parties or outside of your control. And that didn't seem to make a lot of sense to us in terms of how to build this industry, which is so nascent. And and so that's why we focused on doing the end-to-end development and, and how we're executing on that is we have Two divisions, field Trip Health, which is actually building clinical infrastructure to deliver psychedelic therapies, right now primarily working with ketamine-assisted therapy, and I can go into a lot more detail about all the different molecules out there, operating in Toronto, New York, LA, Chicago, Atlanta, and now Houston, uh, with plans to scale to about 75 locations. And then on the other side, there's Field Trip Discovery, which is our R&D division, which is developing what we expect to be the first next generation psychedelic molecule to get FDA approval sometime in about five to six years or so. It's called FT-104. And what's so exciting about FT-104 is that it's very much like psilocybin, which we think is going to be a game changer in, in, in mental and emotional health treatments, but is better uh, in, in a number of different ways. So you kind of get all the best parts of psilocybin, but enhanced even. Further, so that, that's what field trip is in a not so brief nutshell.
0: Right, right. Now you've obviously entered a, an industry that is new and changing, evolving, and you know there could be a lot of volatility there. What do you think is the biggest potential for the psychedelics industry from your your standpoint, from your POV? What's the biggest thing that's coming down the road, um, and what what can we harness from the industry? And the potential of it, I guess
1: yeah, the, the potential of the industry and again I'll use an analogy to cannabis because I just think it's helpful you know people think cannabis is is a massive industry and, and it is, but it's an industry by and large for and of itself, which means it's supplying cannabis users with now legal cannabis yes it's the place displacing some alcohol use and yes it is displacing some opioid and other pain medication use by and large cannabis the bulk of the industry is for cannabis users. Psychedelics, on the other hand, are going to, in my mind at least, and I think a lot of people believe this now, going to fundamentally displace how we think about treating mental and emotional health conditions like depression, anxiety, PTSD, eating disorders, and actually there's a number of other indications as well that could be treated. So unlike the $100 billion or so cannabis industry, we're talking about a many hundreds of billions, if not trillion dollar mental health industry that I think is actually going to be turned on its head as psychedelic therapies start to go mainstream. The reason I believe that is because when you look at the evidence, psychedelic therapies are just orders of magnitude more effective than current treatment options. And this isn't just in in small academic settings anymore. We're talking about uh, MAPS, which is the Multidisciplinary Association for Psychedelic Studies, a U.S. nonprofit that is in phase three trials um, with MDMA-assisted therapy. You know, in their phase three FDA-approved trial, they showed that 70% of participants no longer had PTSD, after three MDma assisted therapy sessions you know this is not taking a drug every day that's dulling and creates anxiety and and you know causes sexual dis- dysfunction and leads to limited improvements these people are potentially cured of PTSD after just three sessions. Uh, You know, this is just a different level of success than all current treatment options. You look at the same thing with psilocybin-assisted therapy, where a single psilocybin-assisted therapy session can provide up to five years of antidepressant relief. You know, again, it's just not taking a pill every day that makes people feel dull and bad and generally unpleasant. A single session, which tends to be by and large quite enjoyable and very meaningful to people, can provide antidepressant relief for five years or more you know that's what we're talking about here this is a complete revolution in all and not all but a substantial part of what is growing to become the biggest global burden of disease and t- by 2025 it's expected depression and anxiety are going to cost the global economy i forget the exact statistics it's something like eight or 16 trillion dollars Annually from lost productivity and the cost of treating mental health conditions, because our current approaches just aren't working. And so that's the opportunity. That's what's coming down the pipes with psychedelics, and why we're so excited about it.
0: Now, given your experience working on the cannabis side, you know we saw as cannabis was becoming legalized and rolling out, there was almost a a rebranding of cannabis and um, how it was packaged and communicated and and marketed. Do you see psychedelics going through something similar to that um, on the road ahead in terms of shifting perception, shifting stigma, and maybe as a part of a a broader awareness education campaign around it?
1: Yeah, I think so. I think it's going to be a little bit different than cannabis because the rebranding was, was exactly that or a rebranding of cannabis. It used to be called marijuana, right? Like the first regulations in Canada were the marijuana for medical purposes regulations. And all of a sudden it got rebranded as cannabis, really tapping into you know, the kind of idyllic vision of the nineteen thirties apothecary where it's very naturalistic and holistic kind of treatment options of which cannabis at that time uh, was one. With second alex the The rebranding is not going to come from a concerted marketing effort. The data is going to speak for itself, right? Um, So even though there's still a long way to go, in fact, we just commissioned a a survey for Canada and the US. It's just like assessing people's knowledge and awareness of of psychedelics, as well as their broader mental health, which we'll be talking about uh, in the next couple of weeks. But most people aren't familiar with psychedelics. Most people still hold the stigmas associated with them, which are almost entirely false. You know, if you went to high school sometime in the same era as I did, you probably learned about all the dangers of, of drugs and remember that uh, you know, winners don't do drugs or dare not to do drugs ad, where they fry the egg, you know, and compare it to your brain. <laughs> almost all of that is BS, like straight up BS. We know that Psychedelics like uh, psilocybin and LSD are, are non-addictive. In fact, they're anti-addictive in many respects and can help people break alcohol addictions and tobacco addictions. Also, virtually impossible to overdose on psilocybin or LSD. You know, there was a one case study where a woman, I think, took 250 times a normal dose of LSD and... She was sick for a couple of days, no doubt, but she was totally fine afterwards and, in fact, reported that it cured her bipolar disorder. So we're talk- talking about drugs that are safe physically, as well as the concerns around mental health and, and the bad trip and, and and all that kind of stuff. It's not that bad trips can't happen. It's not that, that people don't have bad experiences. That is definitely possible. The likelihood of someone doing something absolutely absurd, like jumping out of a building because they're high on LSD is very low, but it's even lower and virtually non-existent when we talk about in a therapeutic context, when you're going to have a doctor and or a therapist present to control the circumstances. So the risk of a bad trip or people doing something uh, untowards on psychedelics is, is, is really low. So when you look at the evidence around their efficacy and you look at the safety of this and then you just kind of got to let the data speak for itself, and, and the rebranding is going to happen all by itself, and, and we don't have to make such a concerted business effort to do so.
0: Now, Field Trip has a specific emphasis on ketamine, if I understand correctly, as opposed to other psychedelics. So what exactly, and this is part of my learning expedition, as I mentioned, what exactly is the difference between the different types of psychedelics and and what does ketamine specifically do and, and why have you chosen that as as your, your place to focus on?
1: We're focused on ketamine right now, but that's not where we want to be. We really view ourselves as working with all psychedelic molecules as they become legalized or approved. The reason we're working with ketamine right now is because it's an FDA and Health Canada approved drug. Approved for the use as an anesthetic, but in fact, much of the psychedelic renaissance that we're experiencing right now was born out of the fact that a number of researchers and doctors noticed that when they provided ketamine as an anesthetic to their patients, as a as a painkiller, or you know, as a general anesthetic for surgery those people also reported that their mental health improved substantially after having it administered as an anesthetic. And so the research started looking into, could ketamine be used as a mental health treatment? And in fact, it can. In fact, it was so successful that the former director of the National Institute of Mental Health in the U.S., Dr. Tom Insel, reported that ketamine was one of the most important breakthroughs in the treatment of depression in decades. So it's just a very effective drug and it's available right now and it's a very psychedelic drug, even though it's not classically known as a psychedelic. uh, You have a very psychedelic experience when you have a sub-anesthetic dose of, of ketamine. People report having very pleasant out-of-body experiences. They're able to revisit past traumas or past experiences that are maybe buried in their subconscious or they're just not willing to engage with when they're not on ketamine, that they can go there and, and experience that. and And that's in part uh, what leads to these really amazing outcomes that we see with ketamine as, w- as well as the other psychedelics. The evidence around the other psychedelics like MDMA and psilocybin is, is better than what we're seeing with ketamine without doubt, but the results on ketamine are, are still very fantastic relative to just antidepressants. So why are we working with ketamine? The, the short answer is because it's legal and we can do it now, but we're very much positioning ourselves to work with MDMA and psilocybin, as well as new molecules like FT-104, which we're developing uh, Uh, right now as they come to market through regulatory or legal approvals. So if I walk
0: in through the doors of one of your offices or in pandemic times, I give you a call or something or make an appointment, what would categorize me as a good or not a good candidate for, I guess, the treatments that are offered?
1: Yeah. So if you think about psychedelic therapies as being like conventional talk therapy, but supercharged with the psychedelic molecule it's easy to understand why psychedelic therapies can actually be very meaningful and constructive across a wide variety of mental health conditions. That being said, it's not ketamine assisted therapy or psilocybin and MDMA assisted therapy are not appropriate for everyone, but they are appropriate for a lot of people. Within our clinics, what we what would happen if you got in touch with us is that, you know, after we answered whatever basic questions you had, we would do a basic screening uh, from a psychiatric perspective, making sure that ketamine assisted therapy was appropriate. So that means that there is a valid medical need now in its jurisdiction by jurisdiction so specific. So in Ontario, the medical need would need to be treatment resistant mental health condition so that you had a diagnosis with a specific mental health condition, have tried other treatment options without success. In other jurisdictions like in California, the requirements aren't so high. So as long as you kind of met the requirements of having some sort of adjustment disorder or just going through a hard time or, you know, in the, in the modern language that the New York Times is, is promoting right now, the, the feeling of languishing in the pandemic, that would be sufficient need. Uh, and as long as you don't demonstrate, you know, other abuse potentials or a history of schizophrenia or uncontrolled high blood pressure, or obviously if you're not pregnant or nursing, by and large, as long as you meet those basic requirements, it, you would be approved for, for treatment. And, and so that's what we do. We screen you and then we would develop a program, a treatment program for you. Typically with depression, it would be what we call four to six ketamine exploratory sessions, which means You'd come in, you would be provided with a ketamine, which in most places we use uh, intramuscular injections, but in other locations that we use sublingual lozenges, depending on the, the regulatory guidance. You have the experience for about 45 minutes to an hour and a half that you're really kind of in the psychedelic experience, following which you have an opportunity to speak with a therapist and really start to decompress and talk about what happened during the psychedelic experience. And you do that twice over the course of a couple of days. and after each two ketamine exploratory sessions, you do an integration session which is no drug involved, no ketamine, purely cognitive behavioral therapy, taking the openness and awareness that you experience from the ketamine and truly really trying to turn it into behavioral change, attitude change, mindset change. and that's what a typical experience looks like. you know it's very we're, we're with you the entire way. There's a therapist present during your experience and afterwards really designed to be a, a very positive, even though I don't like the term uh, spa-like experience. It really is not medicine as we know it, where, you know, the doctor's in a rush and, you know, it's going to throw you the prescription and get you out the door as fast as possible. That's not how we operate. And
0: in terms of the experience of the individual that's taking the ketamine? i mean i understand you know the experiences can be can vary and, and can be quite diverse but if there's an overarching i guess description on what an individual goes through or experiences after they've taken it is there kind of one way to kind of broadly Uh, Describe that experience?
1: (laughs) No, it's really challenging because everyone's journey is unique. Some people just feel better and can't point to any aspect of the experience than than that. Other people, you know, there was a a reporter who came through uh, our New York location who reported that following her psychedelic experience, she found... The profound in everyday life. You know, she started like looking at her finger and just like appreciating how amazing the human body is. As weird as that may sound to some people, when you start to think about it, it's like when you're engrossed in something, when you're deeply engaged in something and find a lot of meaning in it, then all of those negative thoughts that we're prone to have can't really infiltrate, right? Like, I think everyone knows the experience of just being in the zone of being so engrossed in something. And it's like it enables people sometimes to tap into that feeling on a much easier, Basis as opposed to being distracted by modern life. You know, other people report going back to a traumatic experience when they were a tri- child that they realized they've carried through and are able to say goodbye to it and, and let it go. So it, it's really all over the place. But in terms of what ketamine, the experience is like, it ranges from kind of just being like an out-of-body experience, kind of like a dreamlike setting to being very much like you'd imagine psilocybin or LSD, which is very colorful, you know, a lot of visuals and, and unexpected feeling You know, people often have an experience of synesthesia, which is we have music and eye shades on, and when they're listening to the music, the music just kind of means more to them or they understand it on a a more intimate basis.
0: There is a large dialogue around mental wellness that's associated with psychedelics, but wellness is, or can be a bit of a catch-all term that is used in a lot of different ways. What does wellness mean to you and how do you utilize it in a way where science is used to back up your definition and to get away from some of the misinformation that might be associated with psychedelics? And and I guess in a general sense, the, the quackery around wellness marketing too it
1: is a challenge from our perspective and and we've published a white paper on our first cohort of patients to us we're looking at at two factors which is the subjective and objective aspects of wellness the subjective aspects are do people report feeling good, feeling happy, feeling motivated, you know, feeling inspired? That's definitely the softer side of things that can definitely be leveraged by the less legitimate players in terms of promoting wellness and all that kind of stuff. But we're also focused on, on finding those objective data. And so as people come through our treatment programs, all along the way, they're completing validated questionnaires around mental health, like the, the DAT-7 and the PHQ-9, which are the metrics against which people are determined as to whether they are considered clinically depressed or clinically anxious or not. And what we see and the metric we work against is we want to make sure that those depression scores or that anxiety scores continue to, or trauma scores continue to trend downward. And that's really the metric we're focused on. So it's not just the subjective feelings of wellness, which we think are important. It's also showing objective criteria that people's mental health has approved against an objective standard.
0: You mentioned um, at one point in the interview, you know, talking about a, a cure to certain mental illnesses. And I on the site, I think um, it says somewhere, quote, studies show that psychedelic assisted therapies have the potential to treat possibly cure mental illnesses such as depression, anxiety, PTSD, eating disorders. I think cure is an interesting word here. So how do you define cure and are mental illnesses, are, are they curable or are they something that we treat over time? How do you define that?
1: I don't have an answer to the second part of that question. Or are they curable or is it something that we treat over time? The use of the word cure specifically, you know, we're very conscious about trying to, to make grandiose claims that aren't validated by the other science that's out there. And so that particular word is actually taken from the MAPS study, the phase three that was just published when they actually used the word cure. Now, is it a total cure? It's a little bit hard to say, because if you have an infection and you have an antibiotic, take an antibiotic and it removes the infection, then you're cured. And if there's no recurrence, then, you know, I'd say it's an effective cure with what we're talking about in the results of this particular study. They use cure to refer to the fact that the person no longer qualified as having PTSD. Now, that's only over a given time frame. That doesn't necessarily mean it's the lifetime of the patient, but it does mean that following the treatment and for a certain period thereafter, they no longer met the objective criteria of what it means to have PTSD. With mental health, it's it's complex though, right? Which is like you could potentially get over the depression that you've been struggling with because... I don't know. Let's use an example that your parents got divorced and it's been something that you've been holding on to. And, you know, you're feeling great for six months and then, you know, a parent dies or you lose a friend or a relationship breaks up or you lose your job. And this can trigger a whole new experience with depression or drive you into clinical depression as well. Is it related to the first experience with depression or not? It's, it's almost impossible to say. And it's just not the nature of life that you don't have traumatic experiences or challenging experiences. So even if a person could be cured, even if we could do that, it's very likely they're going to experience it again at some point, potentially totally unrelated. And that's okay. I mean, that that's just part of life. And I, I think that's one of the powerful things about psychedelics is it's really about a holistic experience. It's really about Focusing on treating what's wrong now, getting people on the road to to wellness and, and personal growth, and supporting them on that journey. Which you know, as everyone knows, life has ebbs and flows, and you have periods of being up and periods of being down, and and just helping people navigate that as they come on on, on just a, I think a, a much more constructive, meaningful, integrative medicine-focused basis with psychedelic.
0: Now, from your point of view, what would you say is the most exciting research or the research that has you the most excited that's coming out uh, right now or has come out recently?
1: It's the MDMA-assisted therapy study uh, phase three clinical trials that were just completed by MAPS. It was their first phase three trial. And and the data I just mentioned that 70% of the participants who on average had chronic severe PTSD for 14 years. Or quote-unquote cured of PTSD, at least for a period of time following treatment. You know, that you can't help but get excited about this kind of stuff because up until this point, the standard of care was really about a 30% improvement in symptoms, could we make you 30% better? Whereas here we're talking about 70% of people being cured. The interesting thing is a lot of the evidence around psilocybin-assisted therapy not only shows it to be very effective. There is one study out of NYU that suggested a single psilocybin-assisted therapy session could provide antidepressant effects for five years or more. Other studies have shown, one in particular looking at tobacco use disorder or smoking addiction, that found that something like 80% 80% of participants reported a significant decline in their consumption of tobacco, which was the statistically meaningful endpoint, you know, as an addiction study. But something like 75 or 85% of them reported that that experience with psilocybin was one of the most ex- meaningful experiences of their lives uh, up there with the birth of a child or, or the wedding or something along those lines. And so what we're seeing is not only does it sort of deal with the neurochemistry, it gives it just reframes people's attitudes towards life and what's important. And and so it's this really nice blend between objective hard science and and the more intangible subjective science of psychology, both working in conjunction to lead to these these really exciting outcomes.
0: Right. Now what would you say are some of the bigger misconceptions around the industry and psychedelics in general and what are the bigger hurdles that the industry needs to overcome in order to make progress
1: a couple of misconceptions a most people at least when they look at it from an investment perspective immediately say well what's the use of say psilocybin relative to cannabis in the illicit market, and they try to measure the market according to that size, which is not appropriate. As I mentioned before, we're talking about true mental health treatments that are validated by objective data, displacing the existing mental health market, which in the U.S. alone is estimated to be $250 billion. So the analogies to, to cannabis should be dispelled. There are some instructive things to take from the emergence of the cannabis industry, but trying to compare them apples to apples in market size is not one of them. The second thing I think that needs to be displaced is just the things we learned in high school about this, the risks around psychedelics and psychedelic therapies. We're fortunate, though, that the evidence is so persuasive. I like to say that stigma can't survive in the face of data. And so as more and more data comes out, and it's, and, and it's just more persuasive data than we see with cannabis, because this is being done in FDA-controlled trials. They're just more rigorous studies than you get in a typical academic study. So those are the two biggest things, but I think they'll change quickly.
0: Now, there's a little bit of a glamorization around psychedelics and microdosing, whether that's in Hollywood or in uh, tech startup circles, and you know maybe anecdotal evidence that talks a lot about becoming more creative or productive. Do things like that, help or hinder the progress of the industry and the language and the conversations and the dialogue that we're having around psychedelics?
1: That's a good question. The evidence around microdosing isn't there yet. Unlike the macrodosing, the large doses supported by a therapist, the evidence is quite persuasive around microdosing. It's very anecdotal. And in fact, the studies that come out suggest that microdosing works no better than placebo, which I don't think is necessarily a terrible outcome because if people think they're getting better, then they often get better. That's the nature of the placebo effect. So when I think about it from an impact perspective, I still think it's positive that people are reporting benefits it's from microdosing. By and large, I mean again, there's not there's also not the evidence around whether long-term microdosing creates any other kind of risk. So that's one thing that people should be sensitive to. Where things stand right now, I think it's all positive. I think more people are reporting that they're having positive experience with psychedelics and, and using them constructively and it's enhancing the quality of their lives in many ways. I think that's good. I think where it becomes bad is what we saw happen with CBD as a product Where CBD. I used to describe it as the new Frank's Red Hot because people were putting that shit in everything. <laughs> uh, you know. And as soon as you see, like, I, I saw clothing being manufactured with CBD infused in it. At a certain oh my point, it, it kind of jumps the shark, right? We're, we're not there yet. And I think the psychedelics industry is pro- approaching this a little bit more thoughtfully, but it could turn that way. You know, going back to your last question, it's like, what are the, some of the biggest misconceptions? One of the misconceptions is the power of microdosing. Again, I, you know, I, I it's just the evidence isn't there. I'm not going to say it doesn't work, but uh, the anecdotal reports and what objective data does exist don't line up at least yet.
0: Yeah. As a way to kind of just summarize a lot of the things that we've discussed, um, what would you say are maybe like the top three things that people should know to open their minds to the industry and uh, psychedelics in general, people who have a lot of questions, who are very hesitant, who don't know very much like me. Uh, you know, what are, I guess, if like a top three, if you had to name them, what would they be?
1: First of all, that psychedelic assisted therapies are showing to be extremely effective, that psychedelics as a class of drugs are actually by and large quite safe. And that thirdly I think this is going to become a very significant industry you know a very very massive industry that will displace many current approaches to mental health and well-being uh, it, it's a great opportunity if you're looking for for more information uh, there's a number of wonderful studies that have come out and so certainly point you to the recent map study looking at mgMA for the treatment of PTSD professor David Nutt, who's a, a researcher at Imperial College and used to actually be the, the director of the UK UK's Advisory Council on the Misuse of Drugs, so the essential equivalents of a drug czar in the UK, wrote the seminal paper on uh, the relative harm of drugs, and they looked at both illicit and certain illicit drugs, and they found that psilocybin, uh, LSD, MDMA, and ketamine were amongst the lowest harm profiles. So that's a great uh, great study to look at. If you just Google Professor David Nutt, harm of drugs, you'll see the study that came out in The Economist and elsewhere. That's a great place to look uh, to try and understand. But at the end of the day, it's it's really easy to find some of the objective data that's out there with a, a few simple Google searches. Certainly, there's resources on our website, uh, which is fieldtriphealth.com, And then speak to the physicians and the therapists working in the industry. And, and certainly, we're happy to connect you with people to and an understanding of what exactly is happening
0: now uh we're we have our podcast that focuses on mission-driven companies and and companies and leaders that make their decisions or dictate their decisions by their values and their purpose so what would you say is your mission at the end of the day as a company and as an individual
1: yeah, that's something that we're continuing to refine and revise as as we continue to grow and understand how you know we work as a company. But right now, our our mission is to bring the world to life through psychedelics and psychedelic assisted therapies. Which is to say that we haven't talked about this very much, but beyond just the capacity of psychedelics to treat these mental health conditions. There's a lot of pro-social side effects that go along with psychedelic therapies you know reports of increased creativity while we don't see that in microdosing per se we do definitely see that when people do large therapeutic doses increases in empathy increases in openness to other people's viewpoints which is probably something we need a lot more in this world right now increased regard for the planet, all of these really wonderful characteristics that I think everyone would say would be good if we had more of. And so psychedelics have that potential to not only treat the sick, they actually have the potential to better the well. And uh, if we all kind of lift ourselves up from the people who are doing the best to the people who are doing the worst, we're all going to benefit from it. Uh, so it's really nice that it's a, it's a medicine that can be applicable to everybody. Um, my personal mission and, you know, what's interesting to me is less about psychedelics and what psychedelics open people up to, you know, I think a springboard to people getting more in touch with their emotions, understanding who they are, what motivates them, you know, what their triggers are, all this kind of stuff, I think is going to do a lot for addressing a lot of the ills in the world, you know, so people can come to whatever they're doing, really grounded in in confidence and a sense of self-worth and, and self-love. You don't need psychedelics to do that. There are a number of modalities to get there. Psychedelics, I think, are just an amazing springboard because I think they're going to open up to a lot of conversations to a lot of, you know, I use the archetype of a, you know, a man in, in the Midwest US who would probably never think about going to talk to a therapist about his feelings, but maybe inclined to say, yeah, I'd, I'd give psychedelics a try. And I firmly believe that as soon as you try psychedelics, it's going to touch you to some degree. And if, even if it only moves you incrementally, that's a good start. And, and the rest can kind of take place from there. So my mission is to really personal mission is to help people tap into that you know start to do the work that helps them have a better life because they understand what what's inside them and, and what they're passionate about and, and what they want to let go of and then give them the capacity to make really informed choices from the best version of themselves as opposed to the ones acting out of fear or anxiety or depression or anything along those lines
0: Great. Well, that's a great way to end our our chat. And I've learned a lot. So thank you so much for, for taking the time to chat with us. And it's been really interesting. And I, I hope to chat again soon. And I'm looking forward to seeing, you know, uh, how how the company grows.
1: Thank you. And if anyone's interested in following us, you know you can follow us on on socials. We're at FieldTrip Health. Uh, we are currently listed on the Canadian Securities Exchange, our ticker is FTRP, or on the OTC FTRPF. And you know we're actively looking towards uh, uplifting to more senior exchanges and possible listings in the U.S. as well. So lots of exciting stuff on the horizon for FieldTrip for anyone who's interested in it from an investing perspective.
0: Great. Well, thanks so much, Ronan. Enjoy the rest of your day and uh, we'll chat soon.
1: Thanks. Thank you so much for the opportunity. I've appreciated it.
0: Before the pandemic, about one in five Canadians experienced some sort of mental health issue. Today, that number is up to one in four, according to Mental Health Research Canada, with self-reported levels of anxiety and depression now at their highest. Underscored by science, psychedelics have the potential to have a major impact on mental health disorders opening the doors to a future of incredible possibilities thanks to people like ronan and his team at field trip health we're one step closer to achieving that reality and a healthier happier future if you enjoyed this episode we'd appreciate it if you left a review on apple Podcasts so we can get the word out to keep up to date subscribe to our podcast on spotify apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen to podcasts thanks for tuning in Until next time, ask yourself, what's your mission?